for the last couple of months. And uh, King David, who well, wasn't a king, he's not a king yet, in actual fact, in our story, he was a shepherd. And uh, God called him to become king. But before he became king, he had to go through a whole lot of trouble and difficulty because the king who was there at the time, Saul, was trying to kill him, which wasn't very nice at all. And we're going to look at a story in... Um, in the Bible, about how while David was on the run, away from King Saul, King Saul was chasing him through this very, very dry and arid desert. Arid, you wouldn't know that word, so let's try and... Uh, a very dry, sunny, it was very hot desert. And he was trying to kill King David, and he had a whole host of soldiers with him, Saul did. And David was running and hiding for his life. And at one particular story, place in the story, which we will read in a little while, we find, in fact, we'll read it now, I think. We find King David, or he wasn't a king just yet. Where's my Bible? It's down here, isn't it? Um, he's in a cave. And uh, he's seen, because in the desert, uh, from a long distance, if anyone's coming, they, they raise some dust because it's very dry. And there's some dust in the air. And he says, there's a whole crowd of soldiers coming, because David knew that that was happening. And so he got his men to hide in a cave. And while he was in that cave, King Saul uh, wanted a rest. He, he came into the cave. And instead of killing him, we're going to find what King David did. I keep calling him king. He's not king yet. So we're going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 24. So boys and girls, I, I'm a bit remiss here. I should have had a worksheet for you. But I haven't. If you can just listen. And maybe at the end of our story, you can tell me what you've got out of the story as well. So 1 Samuel 24. After Samuel returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel. And by the way, the creche is now open. So if the, if the uh, parents want to take th- the children through to the creche, not the Sunday school. Verse 2, so Saul took 3,000 3, chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his, men, uh, and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. And David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, to David, I will give you your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut a corner off off of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. And then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See my father. Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. 
As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. And you have now, just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. May God add his blessing to this story. Folks, I want to talk to you this morning about, in my opinion, one of the most important subjects that I could ever talk to you about. That sounds a bit dramatic, but I passionately believe it because I've been in this business of being a minister for so long now that I have seen lives destroyed for not grasping hold of the truth that I'm going to talk to you about this morning about. I have seen Christians who have been vibrant and fervent and desiring everything that God had got for them, but something came along their path that so distracted them, so took them off the path, that from that moment on until the time they repented, they had become useless in the kingdom of God. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the power of forgiveness. I'm talking about the willingness, whatever comes your way, to say, God, I hand over this person who has hurted me to you. Because the Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I'm aware of the fact that I'm talking to a congregation, many of whom I know. Many of you I know have gone through the most horrendous trauma. Some of, it, some of you have gone through the trauma of having parents who have abused you. You know my testimony, that was the case with me and my brothers. For some of you, you have gone through the violence of a, a partner that has abused you in some way. And that abuse has turned into maybe the most horrendous divorce. They tell me that divorce is possibly worse than bereavement because with a divorce, that partner that has hurt you and offended you is still alive and it hasn't really been put to rest. Some of you are still carrying the pain that happened when that partner did you down in such a horrible way. For others of you, you have members of your family who are alive today and maybe some of them have even died. But you know that the pain that they inflicted upon you, still, you still bear the scars of that in your life. For others, it was your boss who just persecuted you or maybe, uh, I don't know, tormented you. And I could go on in the list. And I'm going to talk to you today about the fact, the power, the necessity, the absolute essential quality of you saying to God, you may or may not be able to deal with the pain that nobody around me knows that I still feel when I mention that name or I, I reflect on that circumstance. 
But I want to promise you, not on, my, not on my wisdom, but on the wisdom of God's word, that you, if you can honestly get to the place where you hand that person or that circumstance, because you may well be mad at God. You may have not have forgiven God because he didn't answer your prayers. He didn't give you the partner that you wanted. He didn't give you the finance. He didn't seem to come in at the right time when you expected him to. And maybe you just need to even forgive God. Or even worse than that, or not worse, better than that. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you're in a situation where you know how you have blown it big time and nobody else knows how bad the thing that you did. But I want to tell you, if you can learn to forgive yourself, then that will be a major breakthrough. So there we are. That's what we're talking about. But the children are in. So we'll just lighten it a little bit. Anybody apart from me get these inevitable emails that get sent to you? We need the lights off, Bob, please. Um, And uh, have you seen this? What I'm just about to show you is the, one of the most viewed things on YouTube. If you get on YouTube and you look at this, Charlie, many of you know now can see what Charlie, okay. M- more folks have looked at Charlie than probably many other YouTubes. If you've not seen Charlie, then you're going to be in for a treat. But if you have, then please just bear with me. And hopefully from my introduction, you will see where it fits in with my sermon. Some lights off and Charlie, please. Charlie. Charlie bit me. Charlie, come on. Now you say, what has that got to do with <laughs> I don't know who's bit you. I did hear I did hear of one person that was went to the doctor and the doctor said to them, I'm ever so sorry to have to tell you that but you've contracted rabies. It was such a serious prognosis that he left the, the, the surgery for a little while and came back and the, this person was writing on a piece of paper and he said, are you writing your will? He said, no, I'm writing down the list of people I'm going to buy it. <laughs> there was a little child in Sunday school who learned about the power of forgiveness and the necessity uh, in the Lord's Prayer that if you don't forgive others, the Lord will not forgive you. And the teacher went on to say, you mustn't let the sun go down on your, on your wrath. You must forgive people. And so he went home and, and mum knew, was one of the teachers, knew what had been being taught. And, and he had an, a real row with, with, with his younger, younger brother. And uh, so much so they got to fisticuffs. And, and mother said, listen, don't you remember what the Sunday school story says? You mustn't let the wrath go down on your, on your you know, the sun go down on your wrath. And so the little boy says, yes, how can I stop the sun going down? <laughs> There were two Christians who lived side by side. And one of them accidentally sawed a tree which went through the the, the next door garden and into the house next door. And and it caused a big rift between the two Christians. So much so they started rowing. They ended up fisticuffs. Eventually, when they're rolling on the floor, one of them said, this is ridiculous, we're Christians. We've got to start acting like Christians. 
So the other fellow, other fellow said, yeah, well, turn the other cheek. I want to hit you again. <laughs> Enough of the humor. I've made you laugh and I've made you smile, but I want to tell you again that this is one of the most deadliest, deadliest, well, it could be deadly because in actual fact, some have died as a result of what I'm just about to talk to you about. Some, because they have refused to forgive, have thought that they could carry on with their Christian experience and glibly come to the communion table. And God has said, listen, some are sickly and some even die because they approach the Lord's table without honestly examining their lives. And one of the most important ways that we examine our lives is to ensure that we have forgiven everyone that has hurt us. And for some of you, I'm perfectly well aware that this will be a struggle. This morning's sermon will be a struggle. Because you know that if I were to mention a certain name, there will be feelings of not just unrest, but it would affect you physically. It could make you ill because you know you haven't properly dealt with the person that offended you. And in this story, although it's not directly about forgiveness, it's certainly a story of how David, who had every reason to deal with this man called Saul, who was out to get him for no other reason except that God had anointed him to become the successor. And now we know that Saul is acting like a madman. And everyone around him knows he's acting like a madman because they realize his irrational behavior. But certainly they're not at the, the, the sharp end of this. David who is now run for his life, he's gone to a cave called Adullam and now he's moved from that cave for Adullam and he's moving around the desert because every time Saul hears where he was, he would send a troop of soldiers. He knows that there's around about 400, now there's about 600 men with David and so he's sending out a vast number, 3,000 people to go and conquer and to get, get, get David. And in this given situation, David has seen the dust cloud in the distance as, the, as Saul is approaching with these 3,000 men. And he's got, he's, he realizes if he starts moving his 600 men too quickly, then they don't know where he is. So he hides them in the caves. And some of us have had the privilege of being in this very location. There's huge caves there. And so he quietly, they're, they're a disciplined group of men now. And he hides them in this huge cave. And Saul arrives at that particular area. It was a, a sheep coat type area. It was a place where, where um, the, the shepherds would hide the sheep from the, the noonday sun in some of these caves. And I want a little digress here because when we started reading that, I'm, I personally, when I'm reading the Bible, I believe every, every word is inspired by God. Every, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. So when I read about these, these sheep crags, or, or it, it was it, it specifically told us that they're in the crags of the wild goats, my, my, my mind, it, it just started cross-referencing to some of the other verses that I know in scripture. And certainly there's a verse that talks there in scripture about the high mountains belonging to the wild goats and the crags of refuge to the conies or the rock badgers. Immediately my mind thought, now the rock badgers, t we're told of them in the book of Proverbs as being one of the four wisest creatures. Now why, again it seems a digression, but to me it blessed me, so I'm giving it to you whether it blesses you or not. Certainly there is David hiding where the rock badgers hide, in the crags, in the, in the clefts of the rock. And Proverbs says, if you want to know what wisdom is all about, then you need to look at certain little creatures. Look at the ant. Look at the locust. Look at the spider. Look at the rock badger. And you say, well, how on earth could you get a lesson about wisdom from the rock badger? The rock badger is of the, the rabbit family, but he can't run very well. He's a cousin of the mole, but he hasn't got strong legs, so he can't dig. He is a very weak creature. 
small, insignificant creature. Anybody identify with what I'm talking about? Weak and insignificant? He can't defend himself. And in that location, there are birds of prey that would gladly, because he's not that big, come and swoop down and, and, and take him for their breakfast. So what's his defense mechanism? The, the little rock badger, the crag, the place where this David is now hiding for his life. He realizes that the only defense that he has got is to stay close to the rock. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? He can't run. He can't hide. He can't dig. And I'm, like, I'm going to suggest to you that the, the best form of defense against any attack that the devil has got against you is to stay close to the rock. Stay close to the rock Christ Jesus. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. And so there he is, David. He's hiding in the clefts of this rock and the soldiers have come. And now he's... This could have been the end. And what happens is that the, the king, King Saul... Um, different versions have different opinions of what goes on here, different commentators. Some would say he's resting for the night because it's a place of shade where the sheep would have been hidden. And so maybe he's gone in there and he's, maybe he's, he's slept there for the night. Others say, well, it's just a toilet stop because it says he went in there to relieve himself. But whatever happened, all I know is that David is in, uh, in this scenario now where Saul has come in. The soldiers are not with him and Saul has gone into that cave and David... Uh, his soldiers around him are saying, this is your chance. In fact, the soldiers with David say something that we can't find anywhere in Scripture. They say, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy. Now, we don't know what prophecy they're on about. But they're saying, you've had a prophecy that you can kill this man. I want to tell you another little aside, okay? Excuse me, this is the way my brain works because I can't help it, okay? You be careful about what prophecies you, you guide your life on because some of them are non-existent. Is there anybody nodding there? Somebody identifying? Uh, you know, I believe passionately in the word of knowledge. I believe passionately in the word of wisdom. I believe in the prophetic utterance. And we want more of that. But you don't guide your life on a prophetic word that someone gives you unless God has already told you from the word. Someone agree with me, please. You get your guidance from God directly. You doesn't have to send it secondhand. You read your Bible. But then prophecy confirms that. A little aside, I throw it out to you. Shall we have another? We haven't had the offering yet. We wouldn't have an offering for that one at least, didn't we? All right. I haven't forgotten, Chris. We, don't worry. We'll have an offering. Okay. You're okay. By the way, Andrea is going. This is your last Sunday here. You're going off to New Zealand. Lord bless Andrea. Amen. Okay. Right. <laughs> Where am I? I'm in the middle of a sermon. Come on, Barry, keep going. Okay. The men are saying, this is your chance, get the man. But rather than kill him, David creeps up. And whether he's asleep or doing his video, I don't know. But certainly he cuts off a part of the garment that Saul has got. And later on, as Saul leaves the cave, and I certainly know from walking in Nepal, in the hills of Nepal, and certainly in the, the desert place that we're talking about here. It's quite feasible that Saul could have, with his soldiers, traveled a little bit of a distance, gone the other side of a, 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 a valley or whatever, so that when David now appears, it could well be that Saul could not have attacked him. I don't, I don't believe he would have just jumped out of the cave and said, here I am, Saul, for the sake of his, his warriors. Saul could easily have killed them. So he's given them a bit of distance. He says, Saul, I could have killed you. I could have taken my revenge. And probably all of these 600 men behind him would have said, he would have deserved it. 
He's not king anymore because he's acting like a madman. And not only that, you haven't done anything wrong, David. You are perfectly within your rights to take your revenge against this person. You are perfectly legitimate to feel the anger and the bitterness and the hatred that should be your position at the moment because this man is out to kill you and you are innocent. I want to tell you, you could be totally innocent in the scenario that you find yourself in today. It could well have been, it very, very, very rarely is 100% on one person's side when there, is a, when there is a dispute. It's usually some kind of percentage. But supposing you were 100% innocent in the scenario that I'm trying to paint, I'm going to suggest that if you take revenge, then it could well be that you're going to be robbed of God's perfect blessing for your life. Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so there's these men saying, you could have dealt with this scenario, David. But David said, no, I'll not touch the Lord's anointed. I'm going to leave this to God because God knows the beginning from the end. God knows how much this man is hurting me. God knows how much I, I, I deserve justice. And I want to tell you, some of us here may not even see the justice that will be ours rightfully until we step into heaven. We may not. I say, God, why don't you get rid of Mugabe? Why don't you do that, Lord? Why did it take so long, so long, Lord, for you to deal with Hitler? Why did all those Jews have to die? Why did you take so long in dealing with this Pakistan situation? Because God is sovereign. He could zap them just like that, but he doesn't. But in the midst of all that, we need to step back and know, God, know that God knows the beginning from the end. And let me tell you this, that even if you feel that you are being harmed and hurt at this present moment, there will be a judgment day. There will be a time when you will stand before God and God will ask you, not somebody else, what you have done with his grace. And that grace will mean not taking things into your own hands. And not thinking that you will be the one that's going to bring retribution. And so we see this scenario. And David is going to conquer three groups of people in this particular story. Number one, he's going to conquer himself. Because he could have stepped in there. He could, anger could have raised within him and said, at last I've got my enemy in my hands. Have you ever said about yourself or somebody else, he lost it? Totally lost it. Have you ever lost your temper? Have you ever said, I gave him a bit of my mind? When I've had folks say that to me, I usually reply by saying, are you sure you can afford it? (laughs) I'm going to suggest to you that Jesus got angry But he never lost his temper. Jesus got angry when children were being abused. Jesus got angry when his church, the temple, was being used for the wrong reason. Jesus got angry at injustice for other people. But he never lost his temper. Most of us as human beings lose it, lose our temper, get angry when somebody comes at me and offends me. And for myself, I will lose my temper for because you have, this is not right what they're doing to me. 
But with Jesus, they could pluck his beard out. They could spit in his face. They could put a crown of thorns on his head. They could put nails in his hands and his feet. They could slap him and curse him and abuse him. But he opened not his mouth. I'm going to suggest that most of us don't get angry enough. But when we do get angry, we get angry at the wrong things. Because I think sometimes we should get angry about Pakistan and things that are going on, not about the nation. But we should get angry when we see abuse happening to others and we think, well, you know, well, some, the government has sorted out. Oh, no, 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 it's not now. We're, we're part of the government, aren't we? What, 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 we're calling it the big, big society. So we can't, you know, we, we've all got to do our bit now. But first and foremost, David conquered himself. And I ask myself as I ask you, have you conquered your emo- emotions? Do you still put your, allow yourself to be in the situation where you cannot control yourself? If you are in, ever in a situation where you can't control you, you're driving your car and someone's done the dirt, you're, and you are... Or somebody has offended you, and you just... How dare he? And you lose your rag... I'm going to suggest that maybe you need, I'm not saying you apart from me because sometimes my wife does cause, no, no, I was going to say that, I'm not going to say that, all right. He had control of himself, number one. This is my wife here, by the way. She's a good looking girl. Nice to have you here. Welcome. There's some folks here for the first time. Best looking girl in the church, that one. What? It don't work. Well, I do try, you know what I mean? You know. (laughs) We're marrying our daughter next Saturday. It's uh, it's her wedding. And uh, I'm preaching at the the ceremony. And uh, I'm using an illustration that we used at your wedding, Cheryl, about the fact that... um, it is a known fact, and certainly the Reader's Digest uh, have certainly written about the fact that it's very healthy and it's very good for you to have a, a kiss every day. Did you know that? It's one of the perks, John, but you... Uh, you uh, yeah. I know I'm on a tangent, but who cares? I'm enjoying myself, all right. Reader's Digest did an article that is absolutely true, that the man who kisses his wife good morning every morning, will live longer, will be happier and healthier at work, and there's all sorts of things that happen when you kiss your wife. Okay. (laughs) And this is, this is, excuse me, excuse me, this is a serious point to this, okay. And this was a survey done actually in Germany, and it's uh, Reader's Digest, and it was done by doctors and insurance people and what have you, and the basis of that is if you start your day with a positive affirmation of your partner and of yourself, your day will be more positive and you, your, blood, your blood pressure will be lower, you will be a happier person and therefore you are likely to be a more prosperous person. So I'm telling you, it works. Give your wife a kiss. Not now. Not, no, stop it. Stop it. It's in the morning, okay. Anyway, moving on. That had nothing to do with David. Oh, he was married, so. He conquered himself. But let me tell you this. In conquering himself, I believe he conquered his followers. Remember who his followers were. They were discontents. They were those in debt. They were those who were divorced. They were those who had gone through trauma. 
And for a start, it must have been a very, very difficult job to get that group to become the fighting uh, uh, force that they were. But somehow or other, he had to deal with hurting people. He had to recognize that he didn't write them off as useless and you're never going to be anything, as some folks have had spoken over them as children. But he, he had compassion on them. He showed them concern. And now his followers are looking on when he could have killed his worst enemy. And they're looking on and they're seeing that he's going to have compassion and forgiveness on his worst enemy. So I'm going to suggest to you that he didn't just conquer himself, but he conquered his followers. If he is able to have helped me through my trial, and he's therefore showing compassion and concern, when these street pastors go out on the streets, it will be dead easy to write those people off. Stupid people. How, how can they think of drinking so much that they're vomiting everywhere? They've lost their self-respect. You could easily say, what the heck? What am I doing on these streets? But you're there to show the compassion of Christ. You're there because these people need someone to come alongside them. You don't have to be out on the streets at three o'clock in the morning to find somebody that needs compassion and forgiveness. And this David was not just conquering his own, uh, his own whatever it is, his own passions, but he was, he was conquering, he was, he, he was showing his followers how, the, how life should be led. And Jesus was exactly the same. I need to put a rider on that because there were some people that Jesus called you whitewashed sepulchres. There were some people that Jesus was very harsh with. The prostitute who came and everybody knew she was a woman of ill repute. And the, the, the religious people were looking down. If you knew who she was, you wouldn't be allowing her to wipe your feet with her hair. But Jesus turns on them. She knew, he knew exactly who that woman was. He knew exactly who the woman at the well was. But showed compassion on those people, but railed on those religious bigots who in their religiosity and their, their pride and their arrogance refused to let the Holy Spirit deal with their own issues. So David perfectly knew very well that this man was going to reverse his decision. When he comes out of the cave, he says, Oh, crocodile tears. Oh, I'm sorry, David. I'm sorry, David. It only takes days before he's still chasing David. He knew that. But he'd conquered himself and he conquered his followers. And I'm going to suggest that he's conquered his enemy as well because um, I don't understand that verse completely. But let me say this. When it says, uh, when, you, when you do good to those who persecute you, you pour coals of, head on, coals of fire on their head. Um, I should have looked that up actually. I don't quite understand where that phrase comes from. I'm sure some, one of you will do that for me and email me. But certainly what you're doing to your enemies when you show them mercy is actually is probably a bigger problem to them than if you are to slap their face. You're probably winding them up even more when you actually show a little bit of mercy. But he conquered his enemies and he conquered them in such a way that he was a prerequisite to Jesus who said, pray for your enemies. So we're not just beating up those wretched folks in Pakistan who are killing the Christians. The Bible says we've got to pray for them. We've got to pray for the terrorists. We've got to pray for the Taliban. What? I don't understand that stuff I don't, because I don't understand prayer. It's a mystery. No one does. But God still answers prayer. And he tells us to pray for those who persecute us and those who abuse us. So quickly and finally, um, what's happening here? We see in this story David's humility, his honesty. 
Saul's humiliation and his hope. David's humility. He bows down before the king. Even though he's just trying to kill him, he bows down and says, I'm not, I'm going to recognize you as king until God removes you. I need to put a rider on there because there are times when the political, uh, political uh, systems allow us to remove leaders. But we don't do it by force. One of the greatest mistakes of our, of our Christendom church, and, and we are very quick to have a go at the Muslims. You listen to me carefully before I finish this sentence. And quite rightly, because they're killing Christians now, not just in Pakistan, in a lot of other places, in the name of the Lord. But let's just remember our history. We did the same to them. We did the same to them. And we did it in the name of the cross, the Crusaders. And so there's a history that they're trying to overcome because us Christians have done some stupid things. And if you think by force you can get win an argument, if you think by, by battling and, and conquering and, and, and killing and, and bloodshed, that is not the way of Jesus. It's a huge lesson of history. The lesson of Jesus is whatever they've done to me, I've got to hand it back to Jesus. And I may have been totally innocent, but Lord, you're the one that's going to enable me to forgive that person. And let me tell you this, you cannot do it in your own strength. But in humility, as you come before God and you say, God, well, the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he will exalt you. Don't pray, Lord, humble me. You pray, Lord, I need your strength to humble myself. In humility, I come and I say to God, Lord, that person has really hurt me. I, I hate them, Lord. I've got to be honest because the next point is he was honest. It's no exaggeration. He didn't, he didn't say more or less that, they, that Saul had done, but he was honest. He was honest with himself. He said, God, I can't get over this. It's all very well with the preacher preaching this stuff. He doesn't know how much I'm injured. Be honest with God and tell him, tell him the truth. But in humility, come to God and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm going to need your help. But I'm willing to take the first step. The first step and say, God, I need your help in this. So David was humble. He was honest. As a result, humiliation came to Saul, who wept like crocodile tears, because later on he's going to turn again. For some folks, he's think he's now really lost it. He's now become a schizophrenic, and he's, he can't be relied on. We don't know, but certainly he ended up as a madman, consulting a witch. And then, of course, there was hope. And I conclude here. Saul declares, even in the midst of this, that, David, you are going to become king. I've got it in my head, even though I'm trying to kill you, and he's going to carry on trying to kill him. I know in my spirit that God is working out a plan and purpose here. And I want to tell you, wherever you are today, maybe this sermon has had nothing to do with you because you're, not, you're, not, you've, you, you're quick to forgive and that's good. That's the quicker that you are to forgive, the more it's a sign of maturity, by the way. But let me tell you this, all of us have got a hope to know that God is working his will and his purposes out. Musicians, would you join me on the platform, please? We're going to spend just another five minutes in worship. And we're finishing at 12, so we've got six more minutes. That's okay. And how I'm going to conclude my sermon is simply by praying a prayer over all of us. But I am going to say that it could well be that somebody this morning needs just to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, that was me this morning. That was me. We haven't got communion for everybody. But we've got communion for one or two who maybe just need
to come and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. For some of you, you may have held this grievance for years from your, for your parents who have now died. Or your divorce was many years ago, but you've never really forgiven. It may well be at the conclusion of our service. Chris, I'm going to ask you just to be there for that, that communion. Just serve that for anybody who comes forward. It may well be as a simple sign to Jesus. Lord, nobody else knows in this room. Maybe they do know. But I haven't properly, properly come to that place of just surrendering that person who's injured me to you. And whenever I hear them, feel their name or whatever, it still causes me something. And I want to, Lord Jesus, by faith, just hand them back to you again. If that's you, you come and tell Jesus and take a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine and say, Jesus, that's me. Will you forgive me, Lord, because the Bible says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Let's stand, shall we, and worship. You may be, when we've concluded our service, um, come forward and just spend some time at the communion table. By the way, R.T. Kendall's book, God Meant It for Good. I've given that book to more people than uh, I've read that and given that to more people. Then, if you've not read that book, it's all about God's, uh, him coming to that place of forgiveness. It's a great book. It's a very old book now, but it's worth reading. We bring our service to a conclusion. John, will you pray for us? But let me remind you, tonight's service, hope you can come out to tonight. It'll be worth hearing. She'll be worth hearing. Hope you can sign the petition for Pakistan. Hope you can come and just receive prayer if that's what you need this morning. John, will you pray for us, please? Lord, thank you, God, that you've shown how much you have forgiven each one of us by sending your son, Lord. Thank you, God for your amazing forgiveness and your grace and mercy, Lord. And Father, God, we ask you to help each one of us to, to Lord, show that same forgiveness, Lord, to others. Father, thank you that you're a good God. And Father, may we take the good news of your love to a hurting world, Lord, to rugby, Lord, as we leave here, Father. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now there are refreshments. I hope you can come out the back door, go to some refreshments around the front door. The Lord bless you.